Welcome back to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. My name is Wayne Kimmel, managing partner of 76 Capital, the sports tech venture capital fund. And on this show, I interview top sports entrepreneurs, athletes, and executives who are shaping and many times changing the overall sports business industry. Today, we're going to talk about the future of media, everything that's happened within the media world, and, and just everything digital today with Rich Antonello, the founder of Complex Networks. Rich, welcome to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. Dude, I did not know you had that much like radio DJ in you. That was awesome. Well, I appreciate that, Rich. You know, it's I try to bring it back kind of my college days. And, Dude, and it was like, you're on it. Like, that's great. I, I wish I had that. I don't, I can't do that. Well, well, thank you. And, and thank you for joining us on our 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. It's really an honor to have you. Um, I, I, I've been, I, I just love all the things that, have, that you've been able to do in your career and really change the way people view so many different industries. And I can't wait to <clears throat> jump into this with you. Look, as, as, found, as the founder of Complex, the Complex Networks, um, Tell us kind of maybe for some of our viewers and our listeners, what is complex? What was complex? And how did you turn it into this unbelievable business? Uh, well, first of all, we could spend about a half hour just on that. But um, let me let me say this in general. It's like we started out as really um, the first verticalized media company, even though we were just a magazine back in May of 2002. And by the way, we just celebrated literally as of today, our 20th anniversary. So uh, the timing is amazing. Congratulations. But, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, but you know, if you think about what complex was, um, the only thing that stayed consistent about it is the topics we covered, which are style, sneakers, hip hop, culture, um, art and design. We were basically the kings and the definers of all of the most important youth culture topics. And we had a very unique tone. It was instead of being very exclusive and scary, we were very inclusive. We wanted to bring everybody along, bring the communities together because we saw a lot of overlap. But what was interesting about all the things that we've been, which you alluded to, is we stayed true to those topics and the tone, but what we've done constantly is iterate formats and distribution platforms. We never allowed ourselves, like most magazines, to be defined by our distribution platform, which was print. We never allowed ourselves to not, in, uh, you know, for, for people who were very into print or text, very few ever made a transition successfully to video. What we did, because we were never romantic about what we were, we were always going to be the most relevant and definer of those categories as those categories also organically grew and defined everything that all youth culture is about. So Complex started out as a magazine, iterated to a verticalized digital ad network, if you remember back in 07, 08, 09, iterated that into an owned and operated network went to uh, an IP factory, and we went from print to text, to digital text, to short form video, to long form video, to basically IP. So we had iterations, like I said, of all the formats and iterations of all the distribution channels. And in what we didn't realize is we really put together 
kind of the playbook for a community-driven media play, which, by the way, is the definition of what everybody is trying to be now, and an everywhere company that is always differentiated and unique, both in, in format and on every distribution platform in which we participate. So, so that was a really short way of saying it, but I think we said a lot there. Well, you certainly said a lot and you've certainly done a lot. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, because you know, as you mentioned, you know, when we first met, it was a magazine. That's Complex right. was a magazine with some great covers. Um, I mean, just I just thinking about I, I think I always remember your to think how small the impact was back then. We were we were ahead of the curve in what we were talking about and how we were talking about it, but we were holding ourselves back by the way we were distributing and thinking about that conversation. Well, I mean, look, you, I think it was, was it Kim Kardashian's first cover? We were, we put, right after the sex tape dropped, we put her when she was Paris Hilton's best friend, um, we put her on a cover and that was also, it didn't, it, it was, it was a very smart timing. Yes, it was um, foreshadowing of the, where the culture was moving, but we were always early with people, um, putting the right people on the covers, having the right narratives, and seeing where the, the social narrative and the creator community was going to come in. Because if you really think about the, um, the, the vertical ad network work we put together, we weren't um, a whole bunch of sites that were brands. We just basically had the best bloggers who are just, were the first real creators of tomorrow, right? All the bloggers were the guys who could have actually dominated YouTube if they wanted to. If they went camera to camera, they were having all the best conversations. They were the first movers on social, but they a lot of them just didn't translate to video the way they should have from an iteration perspective. But again, what's interesting about that is we've kind of always been on the, the fragmentation and segmentation of the category with an amalgamation of all the best voices, whether they were our own or our partners. And what we've done is we learned from all of that, iterated the business when we had no capital, and then used uh, the capital once we raised and exited to then build internally out rather than a partner with others and change the kind of financial leverage of the business. Not to bounce back to the financial side, but, you know, like that's the other thing. There's a lot of people who can develop audience. And then there's a lot of people who run decent, profitable businesses. Very few are able to do both. So we had an explosive business from a brand and an audience perspective and an explosive, explosive business and profitable business from a revenue and an EBITDA basis as well. Well, let's talk about money. I mean, you were able to raise a lot of money. You sold the company. Well, we never raised that much. That's the, that's the lie. Like you have to remember, I mean, we raised the total, we built this whole thing on $31.5 million. Just to give you a, for instance, Vice has raised over a billion dollars. Buzzfeed raised over $500 million. Vox has raised over $600 million. Like we've raised 120th of what everybody else has. And we're almost as big of businesses as they were. So like, we actually didn't raise as much. Now we've exited for big numbers, but we never raised that much. And that's, you know, as an investor, um, the exit amount on an absolute basis is irrelevant 
it's it's the the ROI multiple that's important. So I'm very happy that my original investors made 17x on their money. There's not many media companies that exit for 17x for their first their first money in. Yeah, that's tremendous. And so talk about that. I mean, you had you've had multiple exits um, that's right. with the business. With the same business, yes. And who who are some of the groups that you that you So look, um when well you know let's go back a little bit because i think it's an important context because when we first raised capital we didn't do it on a strategic basis unlike a lot of companies we were previously an llc as you know owned by echo unlimited um and echo unlimited was having their issues in 07 and 08 with real estate um all the stores they opened up um streetwear had slowed and they had a huge line of credit from CIT. And then the world imploded with the Lehman and everything else that was going on in 08. And we were basically capital starved. And we had just very limited working capital and needed to go out and raise capital. So we went out and, and luckily enough, we were able to uh, work with Excel Partners and Austin Ventures as funders in 2009, which was not an actually easy time to raise capital, especially for a media company that was still in the transition from print to digital, right? We weren't fully digital yet. We were still print and digital. So that was uh, an interesting time. But when we had an opportunity in 2015 um, that was when a lot of media companies were raising a lot of capital. BuzzFeed just took $400 million from NBCU. Vox took $250 million from NBCU. Um, Vice had just raised like, I think it was, what was it? I'm going to screw it up. But from TPG, I think they took $550 million. And I was like, you know what? Valuations are very high. So my viewpoint is instead of um, playing, like re-upping the business to now having to exit at several billion dollars to have any ROI and put that kind of pressure, maybe it's an opportunity for us to have strategic conversations to find a home. You know, I've said it many times that 2015 and 2016, I think a lot of people thought it was just a frothy market. I thought it was a game of musical chairs. It was really the beginning of all the consolidation that we're finally seeing now. And I was like, look, there's there's 80 companies out here playing and we're all dancing around four chairs. You know what? Someone just off when that when Verizon and J, the JV of Verizon and Hearst, that was a big chair that came with a lot of strategic money. It was an all cash deal. I'm like, someone just offered me a great chair. I'm going to take that chair right now at a very good valuation, a very good multiple of revenue at that point. And what, especially Verizon was very invested in in, um, in media at that point, remember Go90 when turning the phone sideways? So what, not only did we exit, but it came along with a lot of new working capital to develop and continue to accelerate on a guaranteed basis, the development of probably one of the biggest untethered youth culture libraries of video that anybody could make. So I'm like, wait a second, we're going to get to guarantee all the working capital on an investment basis to develop all this IP and have an exit and take the risk off the table, have a tremendous exit for our investors, for our managers and for our team and 
guarantee the health of the business going forward. I'm like, huge win, right? When does that happen? When you check every box, it just, it's a rarity, right? Absolutely. So we didn't do it out of duress. We did it out of strategy. Unfortunately, um, Verizon, you know, became disinterested in media, very similarly the way AT&T did just recently. And what it did is that created an opportunity for us to explore um, a, a, a recalibration of the way we looked at our business. We found a very intelligent partner in BuzzFeed that shared our, our vision of what a media company needed to look like. We were very brand heavy, very long form heavy. They were very audience heavy, scale automation, very complementary to one another to bring together. And we figured out a deal, went public last year and uh, and exited the business for the second time. And now Hurston Verizon won again. So we had our first tranche of investors that won, Hurston Verizon won. And now we guaranteed the health and the continued success of complex the brand on a well-funded basis, gave our team an, an opportunity to accelerate. My former president became the COO of the entire company. My former chief revenue officer became the CRO of everything across the company. And, uh, it, you know, for me, that was a huge win because I found a home to guarantee the legacy of complex give all the people that have worked so hard an opportunity to continue to elevate and win in this marketplace and finally create a scenario for myself right before our 20th anniversary where I can step out of day-to-day -day operations um, and be much more strategic and have some fun. Well, congratulations on all that. And I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, just from, from day one, Many, many years ago when we first met, I mean, you've you've always been a leader. You've always been a guy like, I, I know I want to move this thing forward, but you've always put a really good team together with you uh, to help you build that business. And I just love the, you know, the many times you'll, you'll, you'll tweet out some really interesting thoughts or ideas around leadership or entrepreneurship. How does that, how did you use all of that to build your business? Um, well, first of all, you have to remember, um, I'm not a technology guy. I, like that's not my strength by any stretch of the imagination. So I was not at the forefront of the internet. I was not at the forefront of technology. Um, let me say it this way. I think it's very interesting that a great deal of the more successful media companies have actually not come from people who were trying to build it on an AI basis or a technology-driven basis. Um, I say this all the time is never before have skills, you know, whether it's understanding how to code or um, a, in a certain language or, oh, here's the way to manipulate and drive audience. Never before have skills been more perishable and never before has thought process been taught less. And it's a horrible combination, by the way, like atrocious. My viewpoint is I hire great people who are verticalized experts, and then I deploy them in the most successful way possible. I need, I know, I know where the business needs to go. And I know what the needs are that need to get fulfilled, how they get fulfilled in the most efficient and effective way. I'm going to leave up to those experts. 
but it's me to put the puzzle pieces together. And that's why it's not about, and I know this is the most oversaid thing in the world, but you know, even though everybody knows you can't be afraid to hire people smarter than you, it's amazing how many people will not embrace that. I, 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 every single person who's ever worked for me on a verticalized basis is infinitely more talented than I am within that vertical. Every single one of them. But, you know, the question is, is can you, can you put those pieces together effectively, let everybody win, continue to grow and develop them as executives? And we've done that. And that's the other beautiful thing. Like, we don't look at people like COGS. For me, I think everybody on my team knows, like, I'm here to give them board exposure. I'm here to teach them the financials. I'm here to teach them how to think about the effectiveness and the efficiency, not one side or the other, not left brain or right brain, but I bring them along so that they are ready to be seasoned executives other places and can be, and they'll open up the aperture and the expansive nature of their knowledge and understanding of overall business. And if you look at a lot of our very talented people you referenced, our talented people were ver came in very vertical and have gone out and taken very horizontal jobs and been very successful in multiple places. And to me, I'm just as proud of that as our two exits, really, to be to be fair. Well, you've done an amazing job and and it's a, you know, it's incredible. You know, look at you know, all the different areas from style to sneakers to food to music to sports to pop culture. But I know a little bit that you know, food and wine are two of your favorite things, and you're you're slightly passionate about those areas. So, so talk a little bit about that and how you were able to develop some really special programming and shows in and around those areas. Well, I will take very little credit for our massive success of First We Feast, our food brand, Hot Ones, the Burger Show, Pizza Wars, Tacos Con Toros. Um, everything that we have done in that space has been amazing. Um, that that's, I give a lot of props. I mean, I've supported him from an overall business perspective, from an investment perspective, challenged him on a strategic basis, but people like Chris Schoenberger, who's been the general manager of first we feast, um, Sarah Honda, who's been the BD person basically in the, and, and a visionary Justin Bullios. Um, these are incredibly talented people who really, um, they, they share my passion level, but are exclusively focused on First We Feast. And, you know, Chris worked hand in hand. They came up with this little idea of uh, having 10 wings and 10 questions to celebrities. Um, it was, I believe it was 2015 was the launch. And our first guest was Tony Yayo uh, from G-Unit. And um, it like that little show has now become a juggernaut. And I could argue it's as important on the media junket when a movie is coming out, we get as good of a first look for a celebrity to come on Hot Ones as they do going on Jimmy Kimmel or Fallon. And we sell $40 million of hot sauce a year. We, we are the one of the number one games on amazon.com. We have merchandise and everything. It is, it is a master class in IP. Oh, and we also have the number one selling frozen nuggets in Walmart now, by the way. And we just launched in December. So um, it, it, what, look, if let's take a step back. 
because there's a lot of details there and there's a lot of funny stories. But for the purpose of the listeners and you, um, and you know some of this, what you do, what we've always done is started with the most pure, differentiated, really deep conversation. Like people, everybody's got a food thing and it's usually either bad recipes or lowest common denominator shit. Nobody really goes deep. And what we've always done is go deep with something. And if you really think about the power of hot ones, yes, the hot sauce disintermediates all the media training of the celebrities, but the amount of research from Sean Evans and his brother that go into the, the questions and disarming them as much as the hot sauce does, there's a magic to that show that because of the amount of caring and, and, and deliberate nature of constantly being better and different than what everybody else has. And the deeper the audience, I say that, and you've heard me say this before, Wayne, the deeper the connection to the audience, the more revenue lines you could stack up on top of it. When you just have a dotted line to your audience, everything you stack on will fall between the cracks. And look, there's a lot of other companies that have done similar things, the cult of personalities, whether it's Barstool or other things after us. But at the end of the day, we really were, I always believed that we are the originator of community-driven media uh, before it was that namesake. And, and my point there is, yes, it sits at a, at a 45,000 foot strategic basis, but it also manifests all the way down on little topics and little tactics like why our questions are better on Hot Ones and how much we care about who, it's not just the biggest people, but who will fit with our season? Who is the right balance of the overall people that go into it? The amount of, of thought process that goes into it is baffling, by the way. Like, you'd be blown away. And, and I think it shows, and the community feels it, right? And that's really the lesson to me, is you start with an amazingly unique and differentiated and value-driven conversation and the and the the bit where you can take that as a business especially in this day and age of multiple distribution platforms it is amazing where you can go with that one of the things that you know certainly we talk about on our 76 capital sports leadership show is sports and that's one of the one of the verticals that you at complex go really deep in and you but you do it in a really cultural way well, well said, well said. So talk more about that for me and, and share more like how, how you go about covering the world of sports. Well, look, let's have a macro and a micro conversation at the same time. I think, look, no one's coming to Complex for sports betting advice, right? No one's coming to Complex for insane fantasy advice of who to start and who to sit. That's not who we are. We are a cultural lens, right? So for a topic like sneakers, we're the inside out. For a, a topic like sport, we're the outside in, right? So all the athletes are big sneakerheads. They're all into hip hop. They're all into art and design and culture and starting businesses and entrepreneurship, all the things that are foundational to complex. So our relevance to the athletes to tell their differentiated stories and the lifestyle side of things we're the perfect outlet for that. So what we do is complement a lot of the foundational sports programming. Now, we were intentional about this. 
you have to remember five to seven years ago was really the kind of flip in sports where, you know, there's a lot of people that watch the games, but there's a lot of people that only care about the individual athlete, not the team. There's a lot of people who only care about what the athlete's wearing more so than their actual statistics and a lot of other things that went on at the same time. So we were kind of, we, we came into the lifestyle sports space well ahead of everybody from a storytelling perspective and against topics that were very near and dear to the heart of the athletes themselves. So we were able to take advantage of that. And we've just watched the entire world move more towards the lifestyle balance, not just the on-field, right? Like it's outside the lines, uh, pardon the pun. But, um, you know, and our content is obviously infinitely more compelling than outside the lines. But um, so, so if you really think about the trend in sports and you think about what's already occurred, you know what's so funny? I think this pulls right into if you really think about where sports is moving, and I'm not saying that they've been a wild success yet, but it is very intriguing. When, when, when the lifestyle and the outside the lines starts to become more important than what's inside the lines, I think a lot of the leagues get scared, right? And they're like, how do we participate? How do we refresh things? Look at all the rule changes in baseball. Um, now, the NFL is a little bit of a different animal, but if you really look at what's going on in like fan-controlled football right now, if you could you imagine launching fan-controlled football in even five years ago, it would have been laughable. But now, uh, like with the, the rise of the individual over team, the I know better than the GM and the coach, um, the social impact uh, and influence of what's going on and, and fans going, I need to be more involved in that wantedness. I'm not saying their product is perfect, but I will tell you something, man. When you look at things that are going on that are where the future, they might not be the winners, but I'll tell you, so I think they are like they are very forward in where the future is moving. And I think a lot of these sports leagues, they're they're, you know, they're look, they they are um, you know the way um 10 years ago cable channels were like, you know what? I don't care that you think I'm a I'm a dinosaur. I got my carriage fees. And then all of a sudden, 10 years later, everybody has to renegotiate their carriage fees. All these leagues are like, you know what? I'm good. I got TV contracts for the next 10 years. Let's see 10 years from now if those contracts are anything like they were before, is all I have to say. And I think there's a lot of things trending in certain areas that are very interesting. Well, we certainly agree on that, and it's and you actually put it in the almost the exact same time frame as when we at Seventy Six Capital, my partners and I, we focused solely on sports about five years ago because of all the trends that we saw. And now, just exactly what you just said, you know, you can look at, you know, as a as a team owner or a league, it was really easy, you know, to just have, you know, you had to deal with your revenue lines. Most importantly, were butts and seats. And your TV deals. Right now, it's like tech, data, analytics, esports, NFTs, augmented reality, Web three, metaverse. You what? better diversify those revenue streams because the, the, the those foundational ones are not growing anymore. 
Yeah, it's it's really it's really amazing to see what happens. So, as you know, over these years at Complex, I'm sure you've had some really amazing stories or really fun stories or things that you. you I'd love to you know, hear a couple of the really fun and, and interesting things that have happened over the years. Well, you know, what's funny, like, I, first of all, there's a lot of fun ones. Unfortunately, a lot of the fun ones are not shareable. Um, so uh, let's, 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 let's table that. How about, let's go, let's go with interesting. Okay. How about the most impactful and interesting okay. ones, right? Perfect. Like, you know, um, one thing that I talk about a lot um, that, is interesting and and you would really understand this especially as an investor who you know and i give you a lot of props wayne you've always not only had a great palette for the vision from an investing perspective but you're not a guy you put your money where your mouth is you roll up your sleeves and you actually help your companies and your ceos there are and you know that's a unfortunately pretty short list um, when you get both of those things at the same time. So I give you a lot of props there. Um, Thank you. It, it, you're welcome. You deserve it. Um, but let me say this is some of the, the most rewarding things we were a, ever able to do come from the most big, the biggest challenges you ever face. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw, I had alluded to before to um, trying to raise capital in 08 and 09, and we finally got it done in 09. Um, but during that time frame, uh, CIT had pulled their financing from Echo. I think you actually knew some of this was going on. And um, basically, they were forcing uh, the entire company to cut 33% of their staff. Now, by the way, think about that. Any company, any company, but especially one that is growing and also shifting from print to digital, going, you have to cut 33% of your staff. Right. So Seth came to me and was like, you have to cut 33% of your team. And I'm like, can't do it. Like, just, it's not possible. Um, and one thing we did, I said to him, I'm like, well, it's the money that you need, right? It's not the heads. Like, you, it doesn't matter. Like, we just have to get to a net 33% discount, uh, de uh, decrease of our, of our working, of our, of our capital. Right, like of of the of the of the the cogs and 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 uh, the GNA, and he goes, "Yep, that's all I need." And I'm like, "Okay." So I went home and I'm like stressed out beyond belief. And I said, I started calling my executives and I said, "Listen, I, one by one, I'm like, we can either." fire 33% of our staff because we just have a working capital problem. And by the way, right now there's no capital anywhere. So, and probably if we fire 33% of our staff, the business is pretty much a wrap. It's over. We're never going to be able to grow the digital side. We'll barely have enough capital to like print the magazines. Like it's over. Um, and, and I didn't, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to like sell the desperation, but I wanted people to understand like, look, the right thing to do is for all of the executives to take between 40 and 60% pay cuts. And what we can do, if we do that ratio from 60% of my salary down to 40 of the lowest executive, man the managing, you know, like the, the executive team and some of the managing partners and so on and so forth. And um, over the course of two days, every single person said yes. Every single manager took it, took their decrease. Um, we were able to not fight. We didn't put one person out on the street in 08 and 09, which was another thing to be proud of on a short-term basis. 
But that enabled us to, for me to then with confidence, go raise the capital from Excel and AV at the, at the, in, at the, end, the middle to end of 09, which again, we wouldn't be where we are if all those people hadn't agreed. And what was great is we overperformed so much because everybody else of our competitors cut to the bone and did the lazy thing. They let the people go rather than came up with a better net solution. We were able to give everybody their money back that they lost during that time within 18 months because, because we stuck to it. We stuck together. And I will tell you something. I learned a lot about myself being able to like look people in the face, be unbelievably honest and ask them to follow me and trust me. So I learned a lot from that standpoint, but I also learned that you, you really don't have a brand and a business if people don't care about it and respect it. And you, sometimes you got to play that card as well. And I didn't realize how much love there was for, or for, the brand for what we were building for my vision. And, you know, all the, a lot of those people stayed through 2016 when we had our exit and a lot of those people were rewarded, not just they got the money back short term in 18 months, but a lot of those people were rewarded with very, very, very large seven figure checks for our exit as a company as well. And I'll tell you something, when you go through something like that and, and, you figure it out, but you figure it out together. It is such, it's a very emotional, amazing thing. And um, it's something that I just wish a lot of people just throw their hands up. There's, I, I've, I've tweeted this out before, like there is always a way to win. I, I'm sorry. I do not believe in giving up. I just don't. Like there is always a way to win. And I don't care whether it's macro problems, micro problems, or both. Like, it's your job as the CEO to figure it the F out. Like, period, end of story. Like, take it on and don't, don't throw your hands up. It's not somebody else's fault and it's not somebody else's problem to solve. It's yours. And I wish more people would step up like that. But that's just, sorry for that soliloquy. But... Oh, come on, Richard. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> no, but that was a big one, right? Like... It's probably one of the more seminal moments of my life, not just as a, as a business person, but as a person. And you know what I learned about myself going through that? And, you know, I often say this, like, I'd rather get 90% of the way together, like to the goal, like, but bring everybody along and get 90% there than get 100% alone. And I, I'm hoping that the hope of Web3 and this decentralized and democratized play, there's a lot of narratives around getting there together and winning together. I hope that that is the, the ultimate result of a lot of different changes because that hasn't always been the case in web one and web two. Well, actually, as we start to wrap down, wrap, wrap up our and, and sort of wind down our 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show with Rich Antonello, the you know, the founder of Complex Networks. I mean, it's unbelievable, Rich. I, and just congratulations on all your success. And, you know, as we start to wind down here, I, I did want to ask you what you really believed was or is going to be the next, next thing. Like what's coming? What's coming down the pike that you that you think is that you're keeping your eye on right now? Um, you know, I, and I've been saying this a while. In fact, I think I even said this to you at that Forbes conference. That's Forbes. What was it, Forbes? Was it Forbes, the sports conference out in San Fran? 
Remember when we were having drinks in the lobby? Was that, yeah. was that what, that's what it was, right? Or was it, was it the, or was it, you know what? It was actually the Steph Curry and Andre Iguodala yes. Players yes. Tech Summit. That's what it was. Players Tech Summit. Yes, that's what it was. And, you know, I, and it, what was that, seven, 2017? Around that time, yeah. 2017, 2018. And, um, and I said, listen, uh, and I've been saying this for a while. It, now, this is happening in almost every sector, but it's definitely happening in media. A lot of people have been saying there's no middle anymore, and there isn't, right? Like, there really isn't a middle anymore from a business perspective, because you kind of die in no man's land, right? So the two businesses are going to either be massive, ubiquitous players, which are very hard because you're operating on, on, on very, like, razor-thin margins, and you're also... If you're relevant, if you're known by everybody, it's very weird. It's very rare that you're relevant, very relevant to anyone. But I do think that the, the bottom of that, rather than just one little vertical, I actually think the real winners are people who are, are going to embrace fragmentation and segmentation, much like we did in 06, uh, at the end of 06 and 07, building the complex ad network. We weren't an ad network with a thousand sites. We were an ad network with like 35 of the best sites. Show me a business who understands how to aggregate re re very related, but incredibly verticalized, passionate audiences. And then you're putting best practices in the middle of them and growing that out, like, and best practices on a diversified revenue perspective. Now, look, it's a little bit of a cheat because we were doing that with like four or five brands. We just didn't have the capital to do it more. But I like I fundamentally believe that the next big winners, especially in media, are going to be ones that embrace the reality of the way people consume content and realize that they need to partner with creators and and bring and have a real value exchange. You don't have to own the sites outright, but there needs to be a real deep relationship and not some BS audience trading or like some transactional um, play where you're like, oh, I'll run your e-com. No, it's gonna, it has to be across all of the elements. And you have to find a way, not from a platform perspective, but from a brand basis where you are related and, and have the same tone and approach to content, but have very accretive skill sets and everything else. And I usually very non-redundant audiences from the, the topics, but similar audiences from the demographic. And to me, that's the future of media. That's, that's, that, that's the way I look at it. And that's the way I think, I think that's the way to stay relevant, have multiple revenue lines and be incredibly impactful and influential as a brand. And it's the only way to stay relevant. Well, I hope our viewers and listeners are taking notes because you literally just gave a course on, on really what's next, how to build brands, what's going on in the media world, and how to sell companies and build companies. I mean, it's tremendous, really tremendous. Rich, thanks so much for joining me on our, on our 70s Capitalist Sports Leadership Show. Thank you, sir. Always fun. Always great. Always great to see you and much success in the future. Much success. And we'll have to cheer some very nice wines. Absolutely.